This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lucasfilm and Disney Plus, presenting an all-new Star Wars series, The Acolyte. Stream the two-episode premiere June 4th and witness an investigation into a shocking crime spree where secrets will emerge and no one is safe from the truth. The Acolyte, two-episode premiere, streaming June 4th only on Disney+. Plus. Winging It Podcast. Hello and welcome into Winging It, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, Annie Bimberg, joined by Board in the House, number 15, Mr. Vince Carter. BC in the house, what's up? And we are so excited because like I said before we started recording, we've been trying to book this guest forever. And thankfully we were able to secure him between bookings and appearances. We have NBA Hall of Famer 1993 NBA MVP Charles Barkley. Well, listen, all Vince had to do was call me. Don't be having no flunkies call TNT or anybody like that. <laughs> he said flunkies. No, seriously. I mean, listen, I don't even... Re- I don't, TNT no better than... The, even bother me with some flunkies calling them about an interview or a podcast. But right. BC texted me. I said, of course I'll do he your did. podcast. So thanks he for did. having me, guys. Thanks for coming. Especially during your time off, you mentioned you're in Arizona because you guys are between shows right now. Yeah, you know, uh, the Clippers gave me an S. I want to listen. They're making me nervous now because I picked the <laughs> right. Clippers to win this thing. Right. But man, they when they, uh, they're screwing around and anything can happen in a game seven. Uh, so they gave me uh, extra three or four days off, and I really appreciate it because I was sick of Atlanta. Uh, I was sick of working uh, because, man, this 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 thing been incredible because I, I got to admit, I'm not going to lie, I thought they had no chance. Uh, and I don't want to get crazy because we're just in the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, but I thought they had no chance to not that virus not getting down in Florida, mm-hmm. and it's been amazing. Yeah, I th- I thought the same. You you like uh, one or two cases, but I mean they've done a great job, and 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 the one thing Chuck I I do like about it, and it's unfortunate, but to show how serious they are, you know what they did with Daniel House, as far as you know putting him out of the bubble because of. The mistake he, he made, I mean, they're just showing that how serious they are about this virus. And it's a, you mess up, you have to go because you're going to put other people at risk. So kudos to them for that. Well, because Vince, what would happen is, uh, first of all, Daniel House, that was very selfish, not just for him. It was selfish him because they, they probably had to fire that young lady. And that's just really selfish. And he going to get another job next year and she going to go back to the unemployment line. So that was just selfish on both parts. Yeah. Uh, because, but the reason the NBA is so nervous, can you imagine if the Lakers made it to the finals and LeBron and AD had COVID? It would ruin the integrity of the game. Same thing if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba got it. So the NBA, that's why they're taking this thing seriously because you can't, you cannot have the integrity of the playoffs challenged. Yeah. 
And I think they did the right thing with that. I mean, it was a rule and he broke it and he had to go. But I want to ask you guys, obviously it's unprecedented what they're doing right now, but like Vince, what, as a player just out of the game, what was your initial reaction when you saw that? that he had had the testing official in his room or whatever. I mean, like I said, it's, it's unfortunate. And, and you get the you know young guys not able to go out and enjoy life as NBA players in the bubble. So, but, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to accomplish something. I can see if you're a team that had no chance in the playoffs, but they were trying to accomplish something. And there were four or five games into the playoffs. You know, that's when it's time to focus in on your job. Yeah, and I agree with you, Vance. I'm like, yo, man, we'll, we'll our back is against the wall anyway. We put all them little dudes out there against AD and Brian. <laughs> right, you are power forward. <laughs> you are power, yeah. And like, uh, I just, like I say, like I say, it was selfish for his part. But like I say, I don't know the young lady, but she's probably got to get fired. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very unprofessional. Uh, so I feel bad for her going forward. Because like I say, he got kicked out the bubble, but. He's a good player. He's going to get his job He's back. He's going to get a job, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just selfish all around. Yeah, he'll he'll get his, you know, I don't know what he gets paid, but million something, I would assume, and then she's going to be out of work, which is what's so scary and risky about those situations. You can say stupid, Annie. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've everyone makes mistakes, but that was a pretty bad one. How do you guys feel like his teammates, um, if you guys were his teammates, how do they handle that? Well, you're pissed. You know, we're trying to win a championship. And it's an important part. Yeah, yeah. We're like, they're, listen, some of them teams, they were just going down to, so they're like, okay, we need some, we need some teams to scrimmage against. But, you know, the Rockets, I mean, I mean, think about it. Not only, uh, they've already lost their coach. So they, they were on a, a championship contender. Now they lost their coach. So they're back to the bottom. Like, you know, I don't even know how they're going to handle that situation because I don't know how you can't bring. I mean, Dan Tone is the only person who runs that system. So what right. are you going to do going forward? That's what's going to be interesting. And like you said before, uh, he'll get a job, but he it might not be the job he wants now. Think about this, because if if they bring in uh, a, another coach with that plays a different style, he might not fit that style where he's playing the big minutes again. Well, but it's going to be harder on James and Russ, but they're going to have to change their game. Absolutely. They're going to have to change their game 100%. And, you know, Daryl Moore, he went in all on this small ball, and so now they're pretty much stuck with this small ball. Uh, but, listen, it was just selfish, and I hope that he'll learn from it. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your time on television, not playing basketball, but on Inside the NBA. Um, 20 years, I believe. How did you, and maybe you could give some advice to Vince with this, how did you make that jump so seamlessly from playing basketball to being a broadcaster? Well, my mentor uh, is a guy named Dick Ebersol. He used to to have, NBA used to be on NBC, and he had started talking to me my last couple years. He says, well, Charles, I think that you would be great on television. He says, "Uh, you're always going to be in trouble but I think you'll be great on television. I just started laughing. He says, I said, Why, what does that mean? He said, oh, you're going to be great on television, but you're always going to be in trouble. He says, he said, because you do know when people want you to be honest, they really don't want you to be honest. <laughs> That's true. He says, everybody say, be honest with me. 
But they all want you to be honest if they saying what you they want you to say. And, you know, when it comes to fans, fans think their favorite player is the greatest thing in the world, and they think their team is a contender. And we know that that's not true. Because uh, I had developed a reputation like, I'm not going to lie. It's too hard to remember every lie. I'm going to be a straight shooter. And I tell you, one of the most difficult things to happen to me was I did a friend of mine a favor. I had already verbally committed to NBC. And he said, hey, I'm trying to get some brownie points down to Turner. Go sit down and have a conversation with those guys. I said, well, I already committed to NBC. He said, just do me a favor to make me look good. So I went out to dinner with those guys. and. We had a great meal, and we should sit around and start smoking cigars. And they says, well, what's your goal on television? I said, well, uh, 90% basketball, 10% social justice and issues like that. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, we can't talk about basketball all the time. We got to talk about things that are happening in the world. And I says, uh, they said, well, you won't be able to do that on NBC. And they said, listen, we'll give you, let you do whatever you want to. You know, and Kenny gave me a really nice compliment the other night. He says, you know, I got to admit, when we we never used to talk about any social issues until Charles got here. And I really, I thank him for that compliment because when I took my job, I said, yo, man, I am not going to just sit around and talk about basketball. And uh, it worked out great. And I had to call. I got home at 1 in the morning. I called my agent. And I said, you know, man, I might have a problem. I really think I'm going to sign with TNT. And he said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, well, let me sleep on it. I ended up just sitting up all night because I couldn't sleep. And, and listen, I ended up waking up at 6. I said, hey, I'm going to go with Turner. He said, you need call Dick Ebersole. I said, no, let me do it. Because Dick had been great to me the entire time I played in the NBA. And I was like, uh, and it was a very difficult phone call. But he said, hey, those guys at Turner are good guys. Uh, and the rest is history. Oh, and, and you know, and like, but listen, you know, you as far as advice for Vince, uh, Vince, you you went to Aspen, right? Yeah. Congratulations, you'll do Thank a good you. job there. But you know, uh, Annie, there's not a lot of stuff to do when you retire, because think about this: like, you can go the television route, you can go into coaching, you can go get a nine to five, which is that's out the window right away. <laughs> I mean, hey, no guy. That's hey, not I it. Play, I, nobody who ain't never worked nine to five gonna go get one at forty. And say, hey, let me go out there and work nine to five every day. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, yeah. And, and so uh, it, I got a great opportunity, just like Vince. Uh, I didn't want to go into coaching. That's too much, twenty four seven. I've had a couple opportunities to go into the front office. Uh, they wouldn't give me complete control, and I turned those down. Because I told him, I said, wait a minute. I know how this business works. If I take a job and I'm just in the organization, they're going to be saying Charles Barker sucked at his job. And I said, if unless I get complete control, uh, I'm not taking it. I'm not leaving my cushy TV gig. And they always say, well, you don't have any experience. I said, well, I got enough damn experience to know to hire somebody with experience. I'm not going <laughs> right. to hey, hire my Uncle Roscoe. Uh, to help me draft pick and make trades and things. I said, you know, one thing about the NBA, it's a very small world. Everybody knows everybody. And I said, if you give me control, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to take a job where other people are telling me who can play, 
who can't play what trades we're making, and then guys like myself and Vince going to come on TV and bash and say, I don't think Charles know what the hell he's doing down there. But it worked out great for me, and I think it's going to work out great uh, for Vince over at Espen because, listen, uh, Espen does a fantastic job. I just hope he can get, if he does anything with Stephen A, he can get a damn word in. <laughs> <laughs> I love Stephen A, but I like giving him a hard time. Yeah, well, we're we're really excited for Vince too. You know, I have been getting him ready to go on TV for the past two years doing this podcast. That's that's a joke. He's been doing TV for a very long time. <laughs> but um, we're really excited. Obviously, he went with ESPN, but but that should be good. I want to ask you. You've um, had a history during these playoffs to make some guarantees um, that yeah, certain teams. Yeah, you're over all of them. Just talk to me about that and how you are so confident in making these decisions and then they kind of fall flat. Well, you know, you think about our job. You have to pick a winner. I mean, and, and I started guaranteeing, hey, they're going to ask Vince. Like tonight, if he was working, it's like, hey, who gonna win between the Celtics? They asked me uh, that earlier today, he, Chuck. I was like, uh, <laughs> uh, that's just part of your job. Uh, the internet start. I said a guarantee one time, and then people started sending these funny things in about my guarantee. And one thing about TNT, they're like, yo, man, we getting so many. See, I don't do any social media. And I like, but I see all these tweets and everything pop up, and people are making fun of me. So <laughs> we just we just took it and ran with it, and it just happened to be that I, I'm Oprah. He said, "Just so happened to be." You are owning it, which is great because I think. And one thing Vince has taught me is to not take criticism hard, and you really just gotta like own it. And I think you are doing that. Well, listen. First of all, you can't take this stuff personally. Like you have to pick a game. Like, listen, I've been in this for 20 years. You're going to be wrong a lot. You know, the notion that you're going to get every series. Listen, anybody thought Miami was going to beat. Most people thought Milwaukee was going to win that series. Everybody picked the Clippers to win this series. Everybody picked the Lakers to win. I'm trying to think, other than Milwaukee, I don't think there's been an upset. So, listen, you have to make a prediction. Sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But you can't try. Like, uh, one guy I hate is hate is Skip Bayless. Mm, I was just about to ask about him. How yeah, about I that? hate that dude. So, what? I, but what drives me crazy is when he misses a game, he gives you, instead of saying, hey, I was wrong, he gives you an excuse that everything the team did wrong to lose. I'm like, yeah, that's why they play the game. We're just kind of guessing who's going to win going in. But if you're going to make a prediction and then get on team and say, well, this is why they lost. I'm like, yeah, we know why they lost. But you can't, you got to be man enough or woman enough to say, hey, I was wrong. So listen, it, it, you have to pick games and sometimes you get them right and sometimes you get them wrong. I don't even think it's a big deal to get them wrong. No. And sometimes you guarantee that the Blazers are going to sweep the Lakers, which is bold, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I was really bothered by that because, you know, when they won that first game, and then they didn't play good. You know, obviously Dame got hurt and Zach Collins got hurt, and, man, they really missed Trevor Ariza, but they were scary uh, going into the bubble. I mean, because you got, you got CJ and Dame, you got a chance. 
This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Winging It is brought to you by FanDuel. We're teaming up with FanDuel again this football season, but we've got something new this time around. All season long, you can play for the free Ringer Mega Contest on FanDuel. Here's how it works. Just pick five NFL games against the spread, including one double-down pick. Get one point for every correct pick and two if you hit your double-down pick. FanDuel will add up your score every week. Just finish in the top 100 on the season-long leaderboard to make the playoffs and compete for a share of $25,000. It's that simple. Here's some of the picks that I like this week. Obviously, my bucks over the Panthers. I like the Chiefs over the Chargers. And I like the Cardinals over the Washington football team. Here's who I have as a lock to win this week. The 49ers over the Jets. And here's who I say to stay away from. I say stay away from this game, the Giants versus the Bears game. That's kind of that's kind of iffy, you know. It can go either way, and I'm just not quite sure. It still isn't too late to join the contest, but this might be the last week to catch up. Remember that only the top 100 players can move on to the playoffs and compete for a share of $25,000. Play the Ringer Mega Contest for free every week, only on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com backslash mega contest to make your picks today. That's FanDuel.com backslash mega contest. Since you mentioned Skip, I want to come back to Turner in a second, but I wanted to ask you guys both. Vince, we talk about mental health on the show all the Mm -hmm. time. It's very important. It's very important to talk about. Obviously, everyone knows that Skip had some harsh words for Dak Prescott when he talked about having depression Um, after his brother passed away. So I wanted to get both of your opinions on that. You know, you said what you feel about him as a broadcaster, but how did you guys both feel about that comment? 
Go ahead, BC. You know, I thought it was a little insensitive and it's harsh. When you're talking about death and, and, um, and somebody losing a family member, I mean, it just, I feel like in my opinion, there's just some lines you don't cross and, you know, and you kind of put yourself in that position uh, on how would you feel and or react when you're in that situation and somebody is coming after you like that. So uh, I don't really listen to, to, to Skip very much. You know, I only see, you know, the little blurps that pop up. So uh, I, I just, you know, when I did see it, that kind of bothered me for that. I mean, this man is going through, you know, losing a family member. And then, you know, to listen, I listened to Stephen A. talk about losing his mom and it t- it's taken him three years to get halfway back. And listening to Max talk about it, it took him five years after his brother passed. So um, it's just one of those things you have to kind of just have some empathy. Yeah, you know, I was really bothered because, uh, number one, I don't like Skip. So anytime uh, I want to preface that. But for somebody on TV to say, oh, uh, he's... He the quarterback of the Cowboys. He shouldn't be worried about his brother who just killed himself. Like, that is so bad. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about mental health, and obviously that's a big deal. I would shout out to the NBA for some of the amazing stuff that they're doing. Mm-hmm. But for somebody, a talking head to get on television and say, oh, man, we know your brother just killed himself. Don't worry about that. You're the quarterback of a, of a football team. I mean, if you don't have any sympathy in your heart, like, yo, man, did you really just say that? I mean, the, I mean, the kid killed himself only a couple months ago. Yeah. yeah. And for you to say, oh, we don't have time for that. He's the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Like, if you don't realize, and then he gave that half-ass apology, talking about people misconstrued. I'm like, wait. Uh, I think people saw what you said. Right. You said we ain't got time for him to be upset. The season's starting this week. He got to concentrate on being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm like, are you serious? How is that misconstrued? That's exactly what you said. The death of his brother don't matter because the most important thing him getting ready for a football game. So uh, I was really bothered. And listen, I really try to, well, not I don't try. I don't talk about guys' private lives. Uh, I don't. That's just, like, I, I have two good rules. I never talk about guys' private lives unless they bring it uh, out and we have to discuss it, which is very rare. And secondly, I don't think it's appropriate to say somebody should get fired um, because uh, I think that television is so powerful and if you start the rumor that a guy should get fired, it can you just pouring gasoline on the fire. So I think it's inappropriate to say you can say a guy's not doing a good job, but when you say, "Oh, well, I think he should be fired," I one hundred percent disagree with that. When guys say that, uh, you know, because because you know it could come back to bite uh, all of us in the ass. What if somebody say, "Hey, I think Annie and Vince and Charles suck at their job; they should get fired." I mean, because it, it's all uh, what your preference is. Uh, but I don't think I, why, you ain't going to never hear me say uh, something about a, a coach should get fired. Never. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, obviously everyone sets their own boundaries for their jobs, but I think that those are two great boundaries to have because, you know, for you, it just sets up the paths you want to take and the ones that you don't want to. Yeah, but you got to understand, 
uh, some of these guys, they make me so mad because they let these jobs go to their head. They'll say, well, he's a bad quarterback. I'm like, you actually ever played quarterback? No, bro. No, of course you haven't. Uh, he's like, uh, he's a he's not a good NBA player. I'm like, uh, how do you know that? He's in the NBA. He may not be a great player, but he's pretty damn good. Oh, he's, a, he's not a good pitcher or a good hitter. I think you have to really be careful. I know they give us a platform. Like I always say, there's no bad players in the NBA. All those guys in the NBA can play. Are they all KD, LeBron, Vince Carter, somebody like that? No. But there ain't no bad players in the NBA. And I always say that. And I'll say I want to add to that the one thing that yeah, that would bother me when I would read people's comments on players like you say, and they were like, "Man, please, I shoot, I get out there and do better than that." And and I always say, <laughs> yeah. I always say the game looks easy when you're sitting on your couch, <laughs> you know, until you go to a game live and you see how big, strong, fast these guys that you consider terrible players are. You know, you watch the game and we always see highlights and we talk about the elite but we don't talk about some of these other guys who don't get an opportunity to play. But if they walk on in any gym in the world, they're, they're pretty good players and they will dominate a gym. I agree with that. When I hosted this show with Kent Bazemore, we had Jeremy Lin come on and he talked about how so many people were like, you're horrible. I can beat you at basketball. You're terrible. I, I bet you 10 grand that I can beat you in basketball. And he'd be like, all right, cool. Like, let's meet up. Let's Where see. do we meet? <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I'll bring, I'll bring 10 grand with me. No problem. Cause People really don't understand, like like you said, even the worst player in the NBA is far more elite than average Joe sitting on his couch watching. Oh, 100%. One of my favorite things is, like, so love is living in Phoenix. I know a lot of pros in golf. And, not listen, there's a million household names here, but there's guys who are not household names. And my friends be like, I think I can beat him. I says, well, I'll i back him if you want to play for money because he just ain't, he don't hit it for enough or he don't have a good short game. But you can't be the pro in a sport. You can't be the pro in a sport. That does it every day, whether they're playing yeah, or not. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you don't understand. These are pros. They have gotten, okay, like in high school, there's a lot of high school players. In college, there's a lot of high uh, college players. When you get to the NBA, most people don't even realize there's a little over 400 players in the NBA. 400. I said, wait, you think you want the best 400 players in the world? Hell no. <laughs> so this Monday morning quarterback, like, I'm betting this guy, I'm betting this guy. I said, yo, man, these are the best 400 players in the world. You're not better than them. So, so you just sit there, watch, and cheer, and shut the hell up. I know this is going to be a stupid question after what you just said, but Vince, do you think there's a chance you could potentially beat a professional golfer or just like keep up with one of them? Could you keep up? Or would it be like uh, average I, Joe I mean, playing just, against Vince so Carter? It, it's just so many things. Like I could outdrive them every now and then, you know, make a play. But it's just the, the, the you know, getting the opportunity to play against a lot of pros and to see how they break the game down. Just like us playing in the game, we break the game down and scoring in different positions, you know, from the wing or Chuck, you know, had the ability to score in the post and outside, you know, you just, you know how to strategically score in the game of golf. Like as an amateur golfer, 
when we hit shots, we're hoping for the best. They're saying, I'm going to hit it in that spot right there. Even the what we consider the worst golfers, they're, I mean, these guys are great. <laughs> when you see me like, man, wait a minute, how is he not on tour? I found myself saying that a lot of times, like, man, this guy, how you're not on tour? It's just amazing. No, so no, I, I don't I don't think so. Not now. Not now. When you play with most of those pros, the guys who ain't good, they can't putt and they got no short game. They all hit it long. Uh, one thing now, they made the courses too long, so a lot of guys are just too little to bomb it out there. But they can all hit it a long way. They're going to hit it straight. They're going to yep. be on every par five and two. Yeah, but they can't chip and they can't putt, yes, and that's what and, separate the best players. And these guys can talk about all these people who talk about beating the pros. They can talk about you're you're good at playing on your course that is not at a tour level. <laughs> 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 you hey, know what I'm saying? So when hey. I, I got the opportunity, I played East Lake when it was a just regular East Lake, and I played East Lake when it was at tour level. It's totally different. It's like playing in the gym in the bubble and playing in the gym. Doing the playoffs in the, in the regular time, it's totally different atmosphere. The, the, uh, the, you know, the rim yeah. looks smaller with all those people, and the 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 fairways are looking more narrow, and the rough is like trying to hit out of like wool. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I have played courses like when we play a course, it's this wide. It's mm-hmm. like like, and I'm exaggerating. It's a lot wider. But when you play like a tour level, like at the U.S. Open this week. Yeah, those fairways gonna be about this wide. I played Wingfoot, and, and it yeah. was tough then. <laughs> so I could imagine. And then, like, hey, and listen, when you, uh, I saw you playing at East Lake last week. Yeah, yeah. When you hit a ball in the rough, you had to be careful walking over there because right. it it goes down to the bottom, and if you make if you ain't paying attention, you could step on it. I mean, it is. It, I tell people, man, being a being a pro, you did something in your life. Uh, it's a great accomplishment. I mean, obviously, the longer you play and the more success you have. But if you make it to the pro for a couple of years, man, that's pretty damn good. And I give kudos to all professional players in any sport because, you know, we as athletes and professionals have made the game look so easy to the eye to where a fan can sit at home and feel like they can beat, beat that player because of what they see from a LeBron James or what they see from a KD and Michael Jordan and Chuck. And so all these players, it's like I said, you sit on your couch and watch and you're like, man, what? Like, man, he looks slow or whatever. Until you sit on that court, sit, go sit courtside. Go sit courtside and see how fast and how big these guys are doing what you think you can do. You know, it's, it's just totally different. So like, that's why my experience playing, uh, like I said, Eastlake and, and, I played in that without the stands. <laughs> so that makes the fairway even more narrow. Yeah, you know, what you said about the one thing my friends say to me when I when they, uh, when I was playing, and even today, they're like, man, y'all got some big dudes in the NBA. Because, you know, sitting out in front of your television or sitting on the roof, you can't see how big these guys are. And, you know, uh, it, it's a, I've always been amazed. Like, the first time I met Shaq, I was like, damn. Right. That's the biggest dude I've ever seen in my life. Right. You know, going back to my day, first time I met Michael Jordan, I was like, I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, it was amazing. You know, I, w- I was in the Olympic trials, 
And I probably should have made the team. Bobby Knight just didn't like me. He didn't like me because he's a dick. Um, but so, you know, we had we invited like 120 players to trial for the Olympic team. And they went 100, 120, 180, 60, 40, uh, 20, 16, 12. So I made it to the final 20, and driving to the airport, it was me, Carl Malone, John Stockton, and Terry Porter. And I went back to my college, and John Thompson, rest in peace, one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. Rest in peace, Big John. He called my coach, and he said, Sonny, I just want you to know that Charles was one, the second-best player here. He probably should have made it to the Olympic team, but Bobby just didn't like him. He didn't have a reason. He just didn't like him. And my coach said, John, I really appreciate you taking the time to tell me that, blah, blah, blah. So he hangs up the phone, and he says, Charles, I thought you were the best player in the country. Well, I said, I'm not. I said, Coach, let me tell you something. There's this black dude from North Carolina. I ain't never seen nothing like it. And at this time, we're like sophomores in college. I said, Coach, Coach, let me tell you something. I ain't never seen nothing like this dude in my life. He is a little taller than me. Uh, he's really lanky. He's really black. But he can outrun everybody. He can outjump everybody. And I never seen anything like it in my life. He says, what's his name? I said, Michael Jordan. I said, we hit it off really good. For some reason, we liked each other. I think that we both small-town guys. Uh, but I was killing these dudes. He was killing these dudes. But... Yeah, Coach, I wasn't the best player there. That black cat from North Carolina is the best I've ever seen. And like I say, at this point, he's just a, a sophomore in college at that time. I'm just going to say, is it crazy to think about, because I know actually Vince has similar stories with Kobe playing against him when they were younger, but is it crazy to think about um, like saying all this about MJ and now like Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan? Well, first of all, even as great as I thought he was at the Olympic trial, I didn't think he was going to be the GOAT. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, I think... I was like, I, I mean, like he took it to a whole nother level. And I think the one thing you notice if you, if you watch the last dance, you know, like when the Pistons beat him to a pulp every year, he would ask Tim Grover, how much time you want off? And Michael would say, I'll see you tomorrow. That's one of the reasons, listen, Kobe's the closest thing I've seen to Michael and then LeBron. And uh, those are the six, seven, eight. Michael's one, and I got Kobe six and LeBron seven in my 10 greatest players ever. But I ain't never seen anything like the closest I've seen to Michael is Kobe. And I consider LeBron as great as he is. I think he's more of a Magic Johnson type guy uh, because those other two guys will kill you. Uh, they wasn't, they're not worried about having friends. <laughs> you know, they're not worried about having friends. They're not worried about what anybody think of. They just want to kick your butt. Plain and simple. Uh, Bird was like that. He just didn't have their athletic ability. Uh, but, man, Michael and Kobe, those, those are two trained assassins right there. Yes, sir. Hey, Chuck, I always wanted to ask, you know, you know, we were talking about how people, when they see you, tomorrow, oh, man, I didn't think you were that big or that strong or that fast. You jumped that high until they see you in yeah. person. For you going through your career, at six six, would you say? How tall yeah. do you say? You six six, and I, I'll, I'll say that for me. I'm six five and a half, man. Quit outing me on TV, brother. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I'm saying for you, 
Uh, and, uh, so I'll say for the first time I, I saw you play, uh, and we were like the same height. It was like I know you hear this all the time, but people, it was amazing to know that we were the same height, but you played the power forward position like you were six ten, and that said, says a lot about obviously you and, and and what you brought to the table. But you would hear that often about man, that's it. This is all. This is all you got. It's so funny you said it because I was having this. I was doing a thing for Nike the other day, and it was they were like, because they they were having us talking to the young guys, and I said, guys, what y'all did in college don't mean nothing to us in the pros. This one kid says to me, uh, it was about fifteen guys on the call. And this one kid says to me, well, how uh, you know how can Nike help my brand? I said, yo, bro, you ain't got no brand. He, he like, what? What do you mean? I said, bro, we don't care what you did in college. Let me tell you something. You're going to walk in a room with a bunch of grown-ass men who all can play, who got families. They ain't been reading your press clippings. And, and there's a guy, a, a third, four-string wide receiver, trying to take your job. You were just drafted early. You ain't got no brand. I said, dude, your brand starts when you start having success in, the, in, 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 in pro football. I said, listen, when you're in high school and you're the big man on campus, when you go to college, there's a lot of them there. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of big men on campus. And then when you go to the NBA, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't care what you did in college. That means absolutely nothing to us. We're trying to keep our damn job. Right. Hey, we're coming, we're coming for your head. I'm trying we to be a part of that 400. Be, yeah. We got, we got families. We're trying to mm -hmm. feed our families. You were, hey, we don't care what you did in college. So every time you go to another level, so you, when they told me I was too short for high school, I'm like, hey, if I can't do it, they'll let me go. When I went to college, same exact thing. I said, hey, if I can't play, I can't play. And then when I got to the NBA, I says, man, I, I, I'm going to make this thing work. I mean, because uh, I, I, originally I was just going to get 10 rebounds a night. Uh, I had learned to score and work on my game, but I got to the NBA. I was in college for three years. I led the SEC in rebounding every year. So my original goal was, I was like, I'm going to be one of those guys. I'm going to be a rebounding specialist. But I got so lucky, the most important person in my basketball career is Moses Malone. You know, so Vince, I played about 295 pounds in college. And I get drafted by the Sixers. We got Moses, Dr. J., Maurice Cheeks, Andrew Tony, Bobby Jones, four of the great people, uh, Clint Richardson and Clement Johnson, guys like that. So I'm the number five pick in the draft. And I'm not getting to play at all. And I went up to Moses Malone. I said, Big Mo, we lived in the same building. I said, can I come up to the penthouse and talk to you tonight? I said, Big Mo, why am I not getting to play? He says, oh, young fellow, you fat and you lazy. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what? So just like <laughs> just like that. I was like, what, what What do you mean? He said, you're fat and you're lazy. He says, son, you got a lot of talent, but you're so out of shape, you can't work hard. And then, you know, I said, okay, will you help me? He says, I'll meet you. Then I went downstairs and cried because uh, it, it was painful. When a guy calls you, you're fat and lazy, and you know, that's okay. He says, let's lose 10 pounds. So he meets me every morning, every night. I lose 10. I'm down to 290. Okay, so now I'm starting to work harder. It gets me down to 280. Now I'm starting to play. 
He gets me to 270. Now I'm starting. He gets me to 260, 250. And now I'm uh, I'm starting to really play now. And he says, I actually got to 240, but I had no strength and no energy. Now, was that all the same year? Yes. Okay. My rookie year. Okay. And he got me to 250 as your plan weight. And the rest is history. And so, you know, I, I'm so glad for Moses, man. I called him dad to the day he died. And I'll tell you this, Vince, one of the most bittersweet days of my life was doing a eulogy at his funeral. So I got a chance to tell everybody what this dude took a fat kid from Alabama and made him into a great player. And I'm glad I was able to listen to him. Because, Vince, you know, you've been in the league you a long it. time. You said it there right there. There are some hard knuckleheads <laughs> out there like, oh, you're just an old man hating on me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, dude, I want you to be successful. But, you know, and I had some issues later in my career when I was trying to help young guys. They're like, oh, you're the old get off my lawn guy. I'm like, you ain't going to make it. I've seen a bunch of guys like you. I listen to those older guys. But, you know, you want to do it your own way, that's fine. And then, like, one or two years, they're out the league. Because, mm -hmm. uh, like, dude, I want you to be successful. This is the greatest job in the world. In the world. In the world. I tell people, playing professional sports. Uh, I was talking to the Jacksonville Jaguars the other day. I said, man, y'all guys know y'all got the best job in the world, right? Gonna, I mean, we get paid millions of dollars to work one day a week. I mean, now you have to do some other stuff in the NFL, but, like, you're going to make more money in one week than most people are going to make their lifetime. And those people are going to be working at least uh, nine to ten hours a day every day for 30 years. And you're going to make more than they make in a year sometimes. So, man, you guys, I'm, I said, I mean, I'd do anything in my power to stay in this league. I, like, Especially the way the NFL I, is. No, no question. And I say, if you get lucky enough to be in the NBA, I'm like, man, let me get my fat butt in shape. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm not turning. I got to stay here. This is like stealing. <laughs> and when they start like when they start paying you for wearing shoes, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Y'all gonna pay me to wear shoes? I don't just get the shoes free. <laughs> then they start giving you two hundred dollars a day per diem. Mm -hmm. I'm like, are you serious? Then you get paid no, to, no, no. To, to endorse hey, that hey, drink. I'm here to stay. <laughs> yes. I'm here to stay. I ain't yeah. going nowhere. Right. And it's it's so it's refreshing and funny because in my experiences, my last couple of years being you know being the vet and talking to guys, and it's kind of like you know you you guys you will agree with this because I've heard you say it, but guys are a little more sensitive now um, when you try to talk to them. So you you, you kind of just work your way into into a conversation about whatever it is. And sometimes I, I I recall myself having a call. Hey, you you can listen if you want to. We can, you can come talk to me if you want to. I'm always available, but don't don't ask me for for my opinion or your help when you don't want to really receive it or hear what I got to say. You know, so it's so funny hearing you say that and, and going through that. And I'm sure all vets go through that. And because I can recall Kevin Willis kind of saying that about me as a young guy. It's like, man, chill, man. We got it. We got it because you know, we, like you said, it's the greatest job in the world. We yeah. I finally made it. I got it. But then I understood how hard it is to stay. Yes. All right, Oak, Oak, Kevin Willis, D. Brown, Doug. What, what y'all say now? I'm listening. I'm listening. And yeah. I was able to take off. And see, you, you're lucky uh, 
and 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 because somewhere in the middle of my career, the young guy, we start drafting those high school guys, and those dudes ain't listening to nobody because they got all their loser friends on one shoulder, and they got their family on the other side. Like, yo, man, that old dude just hating on y'all. We got this. I'm like, yo, man, I seen this movie. You ass gonna end up broke. Them people don't want you to listen to people like me because they want your damn money. You know, as a day, I'm telling you, get them people off your shoulders, not your head. Them people just want your money. I said, I ain't trying to be no old get off my lawn guy. I just, I, I seen how this movie going to end. There's a reason 80% of professional athletes go broke. 80% of us go broke because all your family and friends, when you start making money, they coming. They are coming. You just got to learn the magic word. No. And don't and don't feel guilty. And don't feel guilty about it. Correct. The backside of that is when you're not making that that 15, 20 million a year, when you're making two, three million a year, same type of money not coming in that you're trying to shell out too. So yeah. it goes quicker. It and I never understood that. It's like, okay, here's a guy who you think is, like you said, the old man, you know, hating or or, or whatever. But at the same time, this quote unquote old man that is trying to kick game to you has seen the game, has been yeah. through and probably made the mistakes or avoided the mistakes that you're either heading down or can possibly go down. Why wouldn't you listen? Because they, I'm telling you. I mean, I get friends, it. I get it. Social media yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Them friends say, man, I don't want you talking to these old guys. They're going to talk some common sense into you. <laughs> right. While we're talking about your playing days, Charles, I want to ask Vince because he has a steel trap for a memory. According to my findings, you guys played each other once in the NBA. Vince, I want to know, do you remember who won? Because I'm sure you do. And do you remember how many points you had? No. You don't? One time I I recall, I know Chuck might not. I I remember playing again. We played one time, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I found. It was at Houston. I remember it. Yeah, I'm not going. Okay, I'm not counting that. Yeah, it, I, okay, but I'm uh, that's not the only time. My last two years oh. in Houston. <laughs> that's that was the that was the time, and I, I I'll never forget the one thing I remember about it more than anything is, you know, I asked you about you know the, when we say oh everybody will see Charles Barkley like oh man he doing all that dunking and jumping and rebounding averaging 15 rebounds at that height it was one of those because you know you get to the NBA you start seeing these guys and the reality of. You know, us as I'm in college, you look at it like, man, please, I can, man, I can be that. I can be out there with these guys. And then you get there, be like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. And it's an adjustment period. You're good. You're good. But are you good enough to last here? So the one of the proudest moments of that game, I remember, was a tip dunk. Chuck was going to get the rebound. Young Vince at 21 years old going to tip dunk over him. (laughs) And, and, you know, it was no big deal to, to him. And for me, I was like, bro, you know what I just did? Oh, you know that? Like, it was one of those moments. So that's what I remember from that game. I think we lost that game, honestly. You know, one thing that I talked about you when we did the little tribute to you, mm-hmm. I said one thing that amazed me about you, how you went from high flyer to a jump shooter. And that, that tells something about you as a player. Because every player can't do that. Yeah. Uh, when I started losing my being able to jump and explode, I really felt like six five out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw it happen to Larry Johnson when he hurt his back and couldn't yes. jump anymore. Yes. Like when he can explode, you can be grandma. 
But then when you can't jump, you're like, oh, that's Larry Johnson. Right. And my last year, my last two years, basically, it was so frustrating for me because guys who couldn't play were kicking my ass, which is the worst thing in the world for a player. Like when guys can't play, and I'm saying, hey, real direction. quick, Chuck, let's say that when you say that, you're talking about an NBA player talking about an NBA player. You ain't talking about no, no fan talking about no NBA player. I just want to. No, let I'm, people talking about, uh, uh, I'm talking about a guy sitting on the bench. Right, right. But who, as an NBA in player, game, I'm like, correct. This dude is kicking my ass. Mm-hmm. And ain't nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, Vince, like, it's like your first 10 or 12 years, you're like, they can't do nothing against me. Right. And don't they you dare put him on me. Yeah, they. <laughs> They just got the hope I miss. Right. Like, unless I'm playing against Bird, Carl Malone, Kevin McHale, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, like, I, uh, Michael and obviously Magic Joseph, like, I'm going to be the best player on the court that night. And you can count those guys on a hand or two. But then when you get older and you're like, yo, man, this dude can't play. And he is killing me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's time for me to go home. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, and man, it's so painful because nobody retires on top. That's the thing that people never talk about. I mean, like all these guys, they were going at Michael Jordan. He played from the play for the Wizards. I said that don't even count. I said, hey, and uh, he still was getting forties. Hey, listen, one thing we learned during the last dance: they didn't want any of that guy. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. But, hey, hey, no, y'all did not. Y'all, no, seriously. Yeah, uh, they so can say what they want. MJ playing yeah. right now in today's game would, wouldn't be fair. Oh, it'd be, it would be scary because you can't even touch people now. Mm-hmm. But I said, I, you know what? Even though it was in my time, because me and Michael went to the NBA together, I forgot how bad the Pistons beat him up. You know, that last dance brought back some great memories. I mean, it brought back some great members. I'm like, damn, man, they were beating the hell out of this dude. But the thing that amazed me, when he when he talking with Tim Grover, he's like, hey, how much time are you going off? He's like, I'll see you in the gym tomorrow. I mean, and that to me what made Michael so special. Like, right. he was relentless. Yeah, and I'll say I was fortunate enough and old enough to, 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 to be able to say that I've played in that era of – physical basketball when it was half court the east coast was half court yeah basketball that was a fight it wasn't a battle it was a fight when they could put the hands on you cutting through the paint i I was a part of that i got to i've gotten to see the change from then to now and uh it's just amazing you know when you know seeing when the zone was implemented it was like man this is you know i thought it was softening the game up a little bit but you know, it is what it you is. You know, it's interesting you say that. Like, when when we played in the Eastern Conference, we didn't respect anybody out West except the Lakers. They were all playing that finesse back- basketball. They didn't have a lot of tough guys. I mean, the Lakers were obviously the cream of the crop. But, like, when we would take that two-week road trip, it was like spring break. I mean, every all the other teams suck except the Lakers. They had Magic, Kareem, James Worthy, Byron Scott, those guys. But the rest of those teams were like, because because you're in the East. Was Phoenix still playing up? Was playing up tempo like that at that time? Oh yeah, yeah. It was okay. easy to play against those guys. Right, 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 right. But man, the East, them boys didn't mess around. Yeah. You know, obviously the Pistons and Celtics were great, great. 
even going to those boys in New York would be That's the hell out of the you too. Yeah, man. Yeah. Even the Hawks. When the Hawks had uh, Kevin Willis and uh, Kevin Antoine Willis and Carr. Dominique and uh, Doc Rivers and those guys, man, it was a war when you came to Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, and because Dominique could dunk on anybody. Don't let him hear that. Well, I will say, <laughs> even though you said your last two years don't count, Vince had, I believe, 32. But you, Chuck, ah. ha- you had a near triple-double. You had 16, 14, and 9. Say, I, why do I remember you had 16? I was about to say you had 16. I don't know why. And I and I do want to say, Vince, I feel like when you told that story about when you had the tip and dunk over him, I feel like that's these past couple of years when guys try to dunk on you. And I'm like, the disrespect. Like, who do I need mm. to fight right now? How dare right. you? Hey, but they're probably I, like, oh, I just dunked on Vince Carter. Hey, I kept my head on the swivel. I knew <laughs> you going for a rebound. These boys coming for you for you now, boy. Oh, I get it. Yeah, listen, when that, that ball going up, my last couple of years, I was like, oh, my goodness, these dudes can really jump out here. Yeah, I was like, let me hit them first. <laughs> if you don't hit hey, them first, said, look out. <laughs> I learned out two things my last couple of years. I said, man, these dudes can really run out here, and they can really <laughs> jump. And, and, you know, like your first years in the league, you cannot jump anybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You cannot run anybody. You can always catch somebody. But your last couple of years, woo, that ain't no joke. Yeah, I, I agree, man. It's just, you, it's funny how you just kind of see how it just how things change. It's like you, you feel like, oh, he taking off. Man, let me go run him down. My, like I said, my last couple of years on the fast break, boy, I'm like, well, I'm going to go ahead and let them do what they got to do. I'll be the trail three every time. <laughs> hey, hey, and that's the way it is when you get older, brother. Yeah. You have to be like, hey, let me stay, hey. out, let me stay out of harm's way. Yeah, but that goes back to what I said, like you know, learning and understanding the strategies of the game and, 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 and the angles and how to break the game down. And that's what I learned. Uh, and that's how I was able to survive and play this game so long because I knew things and can get to different spots at this age that a younger guy couldn't do or hasn't learned yet, I'll say. Well, because I think that, I think one thing that's, that started hurting basketball and when we started drafting high school players and now we draft a kid who's only been in college for six months, mm-hmm. they don't know how to play basketball. Yeah. Well, if you look at, other than Kobe and LeBron, none of these guys, uh, and, uh, well, well, Tracy McGrady and, and but he they're not on level with Kobe and LeBron and Kevin Garnett. KG, they're yeah. right there. Yeah. But the most of these guys can't play because they didn't learn how to play basketball. Now those mm-hmm. guys are all going to be hall, all Hall of Famers. But the problem is we're drafting guys out of high school at the time or guys who are in college six months now who can't play. And I think it has had a really negative effect on our game. Uh, one of the reasons we have a lot of bad teams because those are the guys who are drafted in the lottery, the bad team. Mm-hmm. And they're getting a guy who's only been in college for six months. And who's he's not going to help you get help you get better. And who's being taught by a guy who's been there for a year or two who did six months and still hasn't yeah. played yet. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on that. Like, I went to Dr. J and Moses and those guys. You're going to the NBA now. You're getting a guy who's 22. What the hell is a 22-year-old going to teach me about, number one, about life? Mm. But he don't even know anything about basketball itself. And I always talk about this on the podcast is that when I walked into the NBA, like like you're saying you did, the locker room was, if, if it was 12, 13 guys, whatever, 12 guys, it was nine or 10 vets and one or two rookies. You walk into a locker room now, it's <laughs> one or two vets. <laughs> 
and 12, 13 young guys. You know, it's just a totally different thing. So it's like you can have a guy who, who's playing a lot of minutes and, and having some success, but he still hasn't quite learned the NBA game. He's still trying to learn. He hasn't seen it all. He hasn't seen half of what you, you will see in year eight, nine, or 10. But it is, it's really isn't that anymore. No, it, and I think it's I, – I, and I've always believed that every team should have a guy like yourself on it, a veteran that you can go to and say, hey uh, – like Chuck, say, now you, you know, need one guys, or two of those because your team is yeah. 14, 15 young guys. One guy can't do it. <laughs> yeah, but I could like – Dr. J taught me how to handle money. He taught me how to dress. He's like, hey, son, we're going shopping. I'm like, okay. And he bought me like 15 – well, I, he, I had to pay. We had to buy, like, I had to buy, he's like, you can't wear sweats anymore. You're not in college. This is not Auburn. He says, this is professional basketball. You need to dress like that. And he took, him and two guys took me down there to a place called Boards in Philadelphia. And I ended up buying 15 suits. And I'm like, wow. It was crazy. Because I think if I remember, it was like $30,000. And I had never had $30,000 in my life. Wow. But hey, there was that's something so that I had to had to learn that's, from. That's that's kind of how it was. That's kind of but any funny thing, that's just how the NBA was back in the day. Like the same thing Chuck is saying. I I went through the same thing with Oak and uh Kevin Willis. Who two guys who 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 were dressers and they they understood that, but it was everywhere. You you go to the games, you dress up. Like the playoffs, the playoffs like it was understood. You dress up. You wear suits. That's you know, yeah. that's just what it is. It wasn't like an option. It wasn't options. Yeah. If you if you didn't play, you dressed up. It wasn't an option. You know, it's just kind of the way it was. But that's just because it was so many veterans and guys who have been taught the game and how the game, the level of professionalism. Not that it's not professionalism now. It's just the way the game is now is is totally different. Um, I want to ask you about. Doing TV the way that you do it, part of the reason I love to watch Inside the NBA is because I feel like I'm hanging out with a bunch of my friends, which is, you know, the best thing. But I want to know, have you and Shaq ever gotten into it so bad where you were, like, actually fighting? No. Uh, he gets so mad because he doesn't know anything about basketball. See, <laughs> we, tr we tried to explain to him that there's actually a strategy out here. He's never had to worry about a strategy because he's always been the biggest, baddest guy on the planet. But for the rest of the guys, you know, I didn't play against Will Chamberlain, but for the rest of the guys, there's a strategy. And he gets so frustrated when we start talking strategy. He goes, starts yelling and screaming and talking about how many championships he won, which I do understand that. But that wasn't the point we were trying to make. We were having a basketball discussion about basketball. But he gets so frustrated because he can't have a basketball discussion with me. Listen, when you're a six-five, five power forward, you have to have a different game plan every game. Mm -hmm. So I know that all the strategies in and out. But I like messing with him because once I re realized he had thin skin, <laughs> uh, I love riding him. I do. I love riding him because he does have thin skin. But, you know, it's only because I'm trying to tell him, oh, man, it's a strategy out here. But but in fairness to him, he's never had to worry about that. I mean, he's always been the biggest, strongest, baddest dude. So he never had to worry about strategy. 
<laughs> right. Do you actually believe that he doesn't know about basketball or are you mean like strategy? Only. A strategy. Like I say, he's always been the biggest, strongest person in the, uh, on the court. But you can ask Vince, like, okay, he don't guard all the guys the same. He has to have a strategy against different guys. I had to have a strategy against different guys. And when we're discussing strategy, he always gets mad and say, I got four rings. I'm like, yeah, I understand that, dude. That's not the point of the discussion. We're talking strategy. (laughs) So so it's just funny when we get to argue because we always know when he don't have a basketball answer, he says, uh, you never won anything, (laughs) uh, which, which, which makes me laugh. I said, dude, that has nothing to do with the discussion we had. We know you were a great player, but there is a strategy to this. But like I say, in fairness to him, he's never had to worry about a strategy. I mean, he's always been the be- the best player on the court when he steps out there, the biggest out there, and he can just dominate. And and Chuck, you can agree to this, obviously playing against him. The one thing about Shaq that maybe Dwight Howard would be the other guy when you played against him, the beating, you were talking about the beating that MJ took. But Shaq used to take a beating. He was just so big to where he absorbs the punishment a little more. But if you sit back and watch it, like well, you have to foul to... him hard because That's if what you I'm don't foul him, yeah, if you don't have to foul him hard, like he gonna put you in. He the gonna basket. hurt you. Yeah, he gonna hurt you. I mean, because he's getting to the basket, and there's nothing you can do about it. So you got to hammer his ass if you if you want to be like, no, you're not gonna get to the. Right. So you have to hit him hard. I have a few more topics I want to hit and then we can close really quickly. Um, you're aware of the Magic City Wings and the whole dilemma that happened there with Lou Will. You spend a lot of time in Atlanta. I want to know, have you tried the wings at Magic City, the restaurant? Uh, you know, Annie, I'm too old to go to strip joints. Is there an age limit? Uh, yeah, that's like when you grow up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you grow up. Uh, I used to love going to strip clubs when I was young. Uh, but I'm too old to be going to strip clubs now. But I will say this one thing. He he lost two game checks for $150,000. Ain't no wings that good. Uh, 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 I've never had those wings, but they're not worth $150,000. I don't think there's I don't any think food. any wings are. Any food. No. No, you're right, but they are pretty good. Vince has had them before. He's, he said huh? on, on, on a couple episodes ago, the only reason he stayed after he ate the wings was to allow his food to settle because his... To he, digest. To digest because he learned mm-hmm. that if you do too much, if you get up and move too much after you eat, you'll get sick. So that is why he stayed at yeah. Magic City after he ate the wings. Come on, brother. What are you talking about? <laughs> Down that hill, Vince. It can't prove you're lying. <laughs> It's true. That's what happened. Down the hill, Vince. They cannot prove it. That's what happened. Oh, boy. So you mentioned being young, going to the strip clubs. Um, I know every NBA player likes to go out. Do you have any memories that you would like to share with us on your nights out in the NBA? Well, you know, I wish, you know, (laughs) no, you know, you talk about being older and talking to these young guys. I remember, I, I think I got arrested four or five times for fighting. And I remember people saying rude things and blah, blah, blah and end up fighting and going to jail. 
And I was like, when you sit in that cell, you feel like the biggest idiot moron in the world. And you're like, are you kidding me? How can I be that stupid? So the one thing I tell these young guys today is, man, listen, man, people going to hate on you because you make a lot of money. Always walk away. You don't have to be a punk. You're not a punk. But number one, they might hurt you or you hurt them. Mm -hmm. But you got to learn to walk away. Uh, because when, especially if you're out drinking, there's always going to be one jackass at the bar who got to call you a name just far enough away from you to he for you to hear them. And I used to be like, because, you know, where I grew up, you know, hey, if, if, if you want to fight, we're just going to fight. But as you grow up, you're like, yo, man, can you believe something bad could have happened? You end up in jail. But you got, you got to learn to walk away. And that's the one thing I tell these young guys, man, people are going to be saying stuff to you because they're jealous of how much money you make and how famous you are. Just walk away. You know, I, I was out with some guys from my high school last summer, not this summer. And these three guys just saying, just being mean and nasty, and I'm laughing. And they're like, I tell my boys, I said, there's like, in the old days, there's like, let's go beat their ass. I said, no, 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 let it go. And I said, yo, let me ask you a question. What do I get out of beat these three dudes up other than bad publicity and lawsuits? We're just going to go to another, I said, we're just going to go to another bar. I says, yeah, we could beat the hell out of these guys. And they're like, we'll keep you out of it. I said, yeah, but they're going to sue me too. Uh, and I said, first of all, if y'all hurt one of them guys, some really bad thing, y'all can go to jail for life or something. I said, so, you know, just growing up and trying to, uh, not that I'm the greatest person in the world, but just use your common sense. Because uh, I've had a lot of fun. I mean, uh, you know, I love to gamble. I love to drink. Uh, so I've had my share of fun. I mean, I love to drink and gamble. I do. Hey, let me tell you something. I want to tell you a quick story about this guy. He is an entertainer. And it, if it, and, and I, what I mean by that is when he sees you out, uh, we were playing here in Atlanta. And I don't, Chuck, I don't even know if you remember this, but we were in um, the hotel, the Four Seasons. After the game, we were, we were playing the Hawks. I think I was in SAC and I was sitting there with my buddy and you were sitting in the bar with uh, Isaiah and Dan Marino. And you, and you know, it's just, and he sees us over there and you know, Chuck, he going to call you, he going to call you and talk junk to you just because like I said, he's a fun guy. And for people who have never really seen him out and just see him on TV and you, you know, you, you think one thing, one of the best times of my life, one of the best times was that night hanging with this guy. And like I said, just drinking and talking talking junk and just hearing old stories about, you know, they're, they're just in a lot of things, really. And, and, and I tell you, you know, when I, I, I tapped out and, you know, one thing he, he'd do was like, oh, let's get a few more. <laughs> let's bring some more. And I, I had never been so drunk <laughs> because hey, of this man. You're only, hey, you're only gonna live one time. And that's, that's what he kept saying to me right there. <laughs> you only live one time. I said, well, shoot, I want to live tonight <laughs> and I want to be alive tomorrow. <laughs> and all I had to do is go upstairs. But it was it was fun times. And and, and that's one of the times in in uh, in, in Tahoe, you know, we, you know, we play in, in the Tahoe tournament. Like I, I tell you, man, like his if, if for those who don't know Chuck like that outside of what you hear, man, it's a great time. He's a great time to, and, and a great person to be around.
Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. But I learned my lesson. About drinking with Chuck? Heck yeah. You can't you can keep say up. one more. I'm just like, I'm going to the bathroom and <laughs> let me get out the way. And you are escaping. Um, so before we close, I want to ask you, we obviously see that Vince has the 846 hat behind him. We've seen a lot of tragedy in our country, obviously, for a very long time, but it's finally being covered now um, in a detailed way. I want to ask you, you've never shied away from covering, you know, racial issues, social injustice. You even mentioned the reason you chose Turner was because you'd be talking about that kind of stuff. But I just want to ask you about everything that's happened recently, especially in the NBA. And you were on inside the NBA that night. Uh, when they decided not to have those games. So I just wanted to ask, from your perspective, what kind of a responsibility you see the you know players, especially big-name guys, and and just kind of how you felt on that night when Kenny decided not to be there anymore, and just what went through your head there? Well, number one, I was pissed. I, I, was, I was pissed at Kenny because I, I, I didn't think he should have walked up. He should have told us in advance because I had just said, that was bogus what the Milwaukee Bucks just did to the Orlando Magic. They didn't tell them. And then, like, 30 seconds later, he did the exact same thing. I had no problem with him walking off. He should have told us in advance so we could have prepared. Because it, 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 the show was like, uh-oh. So, but I, I was pissed uh, originally. But like I say, I got number love and respect for Kenny, but he should have warned us. Uh, just like the Milwaukee Bucks should, you know, they should have won the Magic. And, and you know, and it's been funny. I, one of the reasons LeBron got pissed, rightfully so, like, you can't do that stuff on your own. You got to be united. Because what they did was, when they decided not to play, we didn't even have that game. But we had the two games that night. So what happened was, they put the Rockets and, and the Lakers in a really bad situation. Like, wait, we can't play now. We're going to look bad. So, you know, and when you make decisions, you have to always have a game plan. You, you, so so I, uh, that's the only thing that bothers me about it. Like, Kenny, let us know next time before you do something like that. Listen, this is a, a lot of stuff going on. These guys have done a tremendous job with their voices. But we got to come up with a game plan. We have uh, extraordinary amounts of money. Extraordinary amounts of money. You know, I like to see some of the guys. So one of the things I've done is I gave uh, four historically black colleges each a million dollars, which I think is important and significant. I gave uh, black women in Alabama, where I'm from, I'm giving them a million dollars to do IT startups. And I'm doing another million for young black men to be carpenters, electricians, and plumbers. So instead of protesting and all the other stuff that go with that, we should put our money back in our own community. Uh, I think that's the best way to fight uh, injustice because, you know, you look at it, there's only a couple ways to make a lot of money. Sports and education. Uh, I mean, you can throw entertainment in there, but but for black people, the best way for us to be successful is athletics, entertainment, but education. We got to do a much better job of appreciating uh, education. I think we're probably the only ethnic group that don't put education at the forefront of their uh, uh, of their household. 
you know, I wish, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting you asked that question because I remember back in 1989, I made that commercial about the role model. And I remember when I went to Nike, I said, hey, guys, I want to make this commercial about the role model. And the first thing they said, you're fucking crazy. And I said, no, I'm not crazy. Uh, I said, I'm noticing something. And I think I was in like five or six years. And they get, they had me going to speak all the time. And I said, I'm really noticing something about when I go speak at these schools. I says, when I go speak at these white schools, these kids want to be doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, things like that. Like they got goals and ambition. And I said, when I speak at these predominantly black schools, 99% of these kids think they're going to play pro sports and they ain't got no chance of playing pro sports. And I says, uh, I said, so I want to do this commercial. Is you going to get killed? I said, dude, y'all know Chuck. Chuck ain't worried about what people think about him. I said, but I guarantee you the commercial will be a success. We did the commercial and Nike came back to me like two years later and says, you know, 90% of the letters we get from parents are positive. I said, I told you, but the main thing I wanted to do was start a debate because I know the media, they're idiots. They were going to try to blast me. And I'm like, no, I was, I wasn't trying to take no blame or responsibility for being famous. I'm trying to start a debate for these young black kids. They got to know that they can be doctors, lawyers, engineers, teachers, firemen, policemen, accountants, things like that. So I really was happy with it. And I tell people, even to this day, that's probably the one thing that I'm more proud of than anything I've ever done. Because people even to this people even to this day still come up to me and say, oh man, that was a really cool uh, uh, commercial you made. But like I say, I just want young black kids to know, like, yo man, you ain't got, you don't have to be Vince Carter, Charles Barkley, or Dr. Dre. You can be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, teacher, fiber, policeman, accountant, things like that. And as a matter of fact, you got a much better chance of getting one of those jobs than being Vince Carter or LeBron or Charles Barkley or Michael Jordan. There's only 400 of us. There's a gazillion doctors, lawyers, engineers, and accountants out there. Yeah, I have that commercial on here. I was not around then, but I think it's it's really cool what you did. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it's a little that was, past your... That wasn't Wait, an how, old are you anyway? how old are you anyway? I will be... 29 in a few weeks. 29, okay. Yeah, you missed all that stuff. I did. That was that was right before I was born. But you missed from, what I've, years. <laughs> from what I've heard is that's that's huge. And I know that, you know, we've we've had plenty of conversations on this show about giving back and kind of what the NBA and what we can all do. We had Renee Montgomery on, who as I'm sure you know, she's taking a year off just to raise money for one HBCU, which I think is phenomenal. Um hey. Chuck, what were the uh, four uh, HBCUs you don you donated money to? Uh, Morehouse and Clark in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Miles College in Birmingham, and Alabama A and M in, in yeah. Alabama. Oh. Okay, yeah, dope. And I do. I know we've shouted them out before, but obviously, you know, Tony and Jamie Wrestler and or Jamie Gertz and everyone else at the Atlanta Hawks, because um, we were kind of one of the first people, teams, and arenas to say we're going to make our facility into you know a voting precinct and. Ever since um, you know the Milwaukee game, a lot of a lot more teams are joining that, which I think is great. I think it's great, and you know, uh, you know, it's not. I mean, it's like I say, it's great to be the first, but I, I, I think the domino effect it had because of that night. Now players are like, All right, "You want to do something? Make sure open an arena to make sure we can vote." 
you know, make sure and, and and they responded. They had to. You know, when you have the LeBrons and your superstars coming in, in, into your office or on that phone talking about, okay, you say you know, when you sign me, you say whatever we can do, yeah. whatever we can do to help. Okay, yeah. well, this is what you can do to help. You know, this is helping not this is not this is helping not just me. This is helping this organization. This is making us aware. This is showing the, our community that supports you, black, white, or otherwise. Um, that you have their back. Yeah, it's been great to see so many other teams and arenas joining in and hopefully more steps moving forward, but it's been a good step. So Charles, yep, thank you, you so vote. much. Yes, everyone has vote. to vote. Everyone listening, like Vince Carter just told you, you have to vote and I can help you if you text Hawks to 26797. Super easy. They'll get you all signed up to vote. You can find your precinct. You find out if you're registered, how to register. I mean, it's made the process really easy and that's not just a plug for the Hawks, but it's so important. And I know a lot of people have a hard time finding the information. So 26797 to Hawks. And I just want to add one last thing. I think the, the uh, Chuck, I know you were on the, uh, the show, the arena with Carrie champion, mm-hmm. uh, D Wade and Draymond. I thought that was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, what, what they were doing and, and the, the, the awareness and, and, and shedding light on, on issues and for a lot of positive black uh, entrepreneurs and just black folks in the community trying to do better and, and bring awareness and raise awareness in the community. So I thought that was great what you guys did on that show. Well, man, I appreciate it. You know, I told you that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. One thing I can say about TNT, see, you know, I try to walk a fine line between like, because people don't want to talk about issues all the time. So you have to be very selective because, mm-hmm. you know, I keep saying this, I'm looking for allies. I don't want to alienate people. And that's a very fine line. We need allies. We don't need to alienate people. And I, I hope people understand the difference between being an ally and alienating people. And uh, that's a slippery slope we're on right now. We need help. Mm. We need allies. Well Most definitely. Well, Charles, thank you so, so much for your time. I know there's a lot going on right now, and you are on your vacation in Arizona watching this Miami-Boston game. So. We appreciate you so much. He, uh, in Arizona. I, 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 he down there in Arizona I, working on his handicap. Watch out. Yes, exactly right. Hey, hey, listen, I'm not even worried about this game. I just can't wait to see this game seven coming up. So we're good. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. Hey, thank y'all for having me. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.